Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about strip-till. This is something that we've been doing on our own farm here for better than 15 years, so we get a lot of experience with this. We'll talk a little about the do's and don'ts, the good and the bad. Today with strip-till, if you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so with strip-till, I'll just tell you the story a little bit on our own farm and how we got started with this. It was... I'm going to say 26, 27 years ago, something like that, where we were talking to the NRCS. Might have even been longer ago than that. Might have been closer to 30 years ago. But anyway, we we're talking to the NRCS, and they were they said, "Hey, you guys have some highly rotable land, and you really need to try to leave more residue out there." So we took a bunch of acres, and we went no-till. It was almost half the farm for 10 years, and. Our yields were not good. And here were the two problems that we ran into. Number one is nutrient stratification. Well, actually three problems we ran into. So nutrient stratification, we basically farmed like we'd been farming in conventional tillage, doing broadcast fertilizer and laying it on the soil surface. Well, of course, it's not going to move down. It'd take phosphorus 100 years to move down well into the root zone in our heavy soil with no rain. And anyway... So that didn't work. The other thing is it was really cold in the spring and we like to plant early. So the no-till wasn't warming up as fast as we would like. Again, I'm not saying that this is a problem that you can't overcome if you're smart, but we weren't. So anyway, we had that problem. And then the next thing was we didn't solve our compaction problems prior to getting into no-till. And I mean, it's very challenging to fix compaction problems in no-till if you don't do, if you, let me rephrase this. If you have serious compaction problems and then you go into no-till, and just expect that magically those compaction issues are going to go away, well, you're going to be wrong again. So I, 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 and please, if you know, if you are a no-tiller, don't misinterpret this. I'm not saying no-till's bad. I'm saying we weren't real bright. We had some challenges. And so, and in our climate, in our geography, it is, well, there are real challenges with no-till. Let's face it. So what we did is we switched to strip-till on those acres. And by strip-tilling, that allowed us to warm that soil up. And, I mean, it was noticeable. Seven degrees difference in the row versus outside it. And we would do the strip-till in the fall. So then in the spring, there wasn't the residue there, and the soil warmed up way faster. So now, all of a sudden, we were dealing with a lot warmer and drier soil. On top of that, with the strip-till... We initially started with shanks, and we've done some coulter work too, but we were going 10 inches deep with shanks in the fall. It was amazing because now all this nutrient stratification, well, we were putting our P and K way below that, so it was perfect. And then the other thing that I often remind people in strip till is you have no compaction all the way down to the bottom of that strip. None. That's the only pass you've done in that field. So now if you're going out there 10 inches deep like we were, guess what? In the spring, our roots were immediately down to 10 inches. It was awesome. So that that stuff was all great. 
the things that I haven't liked about, or the number one thing I would say I haven't liked about strip teal is simply that it takes, I mean, the, the machine costs some money. You can't just go out there and blow fertilizer on a thousand acres in a day or anything like you might be able to do in conventional till. I mean, it takes time. It's, it's like planting. It just takes time and you have to refill the machine with fertilizer. And especially like for us, we're going for higher yields. We're putting a lot of fertilizer on. So it takes time. Um, having a good operator is also pretty important because where you run the strip till machine is where you are going to be planting in the spring. So anyway, we'll talk about these things and a bunch more stuff with strip till. Again, the good, the bad, the do's, the don'ts, all that kind of stuff throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, this one comes from Tony and... Tony said, we've got a soybean bin, we've got sweeps, we've got an air floor with heat. We're constantly over-drying our soybeans. They're getting down under 13%, and that costs us money. We're up in Ontario, Canada, yep. and uh, we've heard you guys talk about uh, different monitoring systems and, and big bin fan, fan controls, controls and yep. so forth. Yep. Just curious which ones you use and maybe a couple of tips on handling soybeans. We've used a few different kinds. Lately, we've been going with Farm Shop MFG. You can just go to farmshopmfg.com if you want more information about that kind of stuff. But yeah, there are a number of different systems out there. And the big thing for us, I like to turn this around and say, I don't want to have dry beans ever and have to put moisture back in. I want to make sure we're harvesting early. And it sounds like that's, that may be the direction he's going to. But I want to get started with our beans when they're 15 to 17% out in the field. Nobody else is combining beans right then, but we are. It buys us more days. And just think about it here on the farm. I mean, we are absolutely swamped in the fall. That is our busiest time of the year without question, way busier in spring. And the reason why is because we have so much fertility work to do. We're soil sampling our acres. We might be doing tillage. Well, like our topic today, strip till. So you buy yourself so many more acres. But anyway, yes, monitoring is important. Uh, but the biggest thing for us has been these bin fan controls. And you want something that can run automatically. You put the setting in, away you go. And yes, you could pump moisture back in, but the big thing is, to your point, you're not getting these super dry beans when you're hauling them to town because that does cost a ridiculous amount of money as good as the soybean price is today. All right, I had a comment come in. We were talking about nutrient movement in the soil, and this one comes from TF who says, hey, this is a great refresher just talking about this. Uh, growers often think they put on a certain amount of nitrogen, but... Uh, of course, that's going to move around, sulfur as well. The roots are, are going deep, and we can also access nutrients down deeper, so that's something to think about. Hey, thanks, TF. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, exactly right. It's important to understand various nutrients move more than others, so you got to kind of pay attention to those ones that, that move around a lot. We're going to be talking strip till on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more than nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit sound.ag to learn more. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic will be strip-till on the show. Brian mentioned this earlier. We've been doing strip-till on our farm for quite a few years now, and not every acre gets covered, partly because we rarely do the same thing everywhere. We like to try out lots of different things so we can learn a little bit more. Uh, Also, we've got some different situations, too, where we've got a dairy manure, for example, that's getting applied and that's getting applied um, everywhere and they're tilling it in so it, it's not laying on top of the surface of the soil, that kind of thing. So in those fields, we don't necessarily need to do any strip till. But but then again, we've got other acres that strip till is our best option and we like to do it in the fall, which some falls are great for doing strip till. We get all kinds of time and other falls, well, not quite so good where uh, we say, okay, we couldn't get it done. It froze up on us too early. And I thought that was one of the things that, that we'd get into at some point here along the way today, just talking about spring strip till. Okay, you didn't get it done in the fall. Now what do you do? Well, we like to use shank in the fall, put nutrients down just a little bit deeper. But in the spring, we really like using coulters. Uh, we don't have to dig down so deep. The soil is going to have a better chance of being fit all the way down, those types of things. So just some adjustments going from fall strip till to spring. All right, I got Sean Arthur with us right now with Environmental Tillage Systems. How you doing, Sean? Good afternoon. I'm doing well today. You know, a lot of people talking about strip-till again, and of course, fertilizer prices have been uh, a little high <laughs> lately. And so we're thinking about, oh, maybe maybe this would be a way I could uh, be more efficient with my fertilizer use. But also, when you think about soil health and just why why till the whole field if we just want to freshen things up a little bit right around where that seed bed's going to be, uh, it makes a lot of sense. So a lot of different reasons people are turning to strip-till. What, what are you finding, Sean? I guess what's been your experience? Well, you're hitting on some very good points there. Um, But if we take a step back and think about preparing a field to plant a crop into it, uh, corn specifically, it likes to have a nice mellow area with some, uh, I guess, 
soil that's been tilled up and not going to have too much compaction that it has to compete with and uh, a good zone where you can plant a seed and then get some even emergence out of it. And that's something that we're able to deliver with the strips that we're creating. Uh, it's a method that's been used for many years in farming. I mean, everybody knows the value of tillage to help create better emergence out of a corn crop. But in more recent years, when farmers are implementing so many guidance systems, uh, RTK networks are readily available across much of the uh, Midwest and U.S., I guess. Um, well, we've got this technology out there where we're able to be more efficient with what we're doing. So instead of going out and working a field from fence line to fence line, we're able to work a zone just where we're going to be planting the seed and then not spending the effort or running the risk of having some soil loss by tilling areas that don't need to be tilled. So by, by working that zone right where that seed's going to be placed, I think it's, uh, it makes intuitive sense to be focusing tillage in that zone and then not worrying about the other areas that aren't going to be planted into. Now, you mentioned just having a better environment for those plants to emerge and emerge evenly. I like that a lot. You know, if you're not doing tillage, that's one of the challenges you've got. You don't have the exact same amount of residue everywhere, the exact same soil conditions everywhere, that kind of thing. That's uh, It can be managed around, but, but can also be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, the other thing I like about that is not just the early part of the growing season, but as that growing season continues, if you don't have compaction and you've got this nice mellow zone, we see bigger roots faster in strip till and throughout the season. We just see nicer root systems. That's got to be helpful. It doesn't always mean more yield, but if you told me I could have bigger, better roots on uh, this part of the field versus the other, I'm going to take the bigger roots every time. Yeah, the larger root mass is going to create better stability for the plant. It's going to be able to anchor itself better when we get some of the winds that blow and try to tip that corn crop over. I mean, it's going to be anchored better, and you're going to have a better opportunity to uptake nutrients if you've got a bigger zone of root expression. Uh, small, compacted roots that aren't touching as much of that soil area aren't going to be exposed to the fertilizer that's dispersed throughout your soil um, or your natural fertility that's out there. So having that bigger root zone is going to help that plant have a higher success rate later in the season uh, from a nutrient uptake, but also from water uptake. If you create a root zone that's not able to let the, the plant express roots down to those deeper levels, uh, when things turn a little bit dry late in the season like they tend to do, uh, that plant might be searching for water and be water limited. Yeah. Um, and even though it might not be a devastating result when the combine runs, that stuff can all nip away at yield uh, if that plant's struggling to pick up that nutrients or get down to the depth that water is. You hit right on the topic I was thinking too, Sean, as we start talking about the root system, drought tolerance and being able to handle those tough years. Because, you know, you might have drought for a long part of the growing season, or it might just be for a few weeks in the middle when it gets really warm. Uh, being able to access more nutrients with less water, that's a huge advantage for strip till. Uh, Sean, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck to you heading into the spring. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Bet. Got CJ Parker with us right now with Case IH and and CJ already hitting on a few of these uh, topics with with strip till. But man, if you've got corn stalks out there, how do you get through them with strip tillage in the spring? We 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 try and do it in the fall, but it doesn't always work out for us. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question too. Um, you know how how do we deal with that residue? Because corn stalks keep getting getting tougher and tougher to deal with. It seems like as as the years go by. Um, I guess my recommendation would be to uh, to make sure we got a good um, residue manager to uh, to help help clear that residue from that from that strip. You know, real real similar to uh, you know to make sure we got a good residue manager on our on our planter. So we um, it's real similar to strip till too, so we can 
we can get that good, nice um, seed bed and that nice strip to plant into. You know, I think a lot of guys are used to doing the fall strips, and for us, that, that means making a pretty nice berm out there because we know things are going to settle down. How about in the spring? How about if we said, okay, we can get in in March, and we want to try and plant in April. Uh, how does that change things? Yeah, that's that's a question I've actually had a few people ask at, uh, as we because I've been to some, some different farm shows across the country here this winter. Um, you know, some guys got their got their fall strips done, or they and some of the guys picked up some some ground that's near them for this spring, and some of them just didn't just didn't get to everything they wanted to last fall. Um, you know, in the fall of the year, I, I like to see that berm on that strip to be a little bit higher, more of a uh, maybe a, a little bit of a hill almost. Um, but when we go into the spring, um, you know, we don't have that uh, that time or that winter weather to uh, to lay and settle everything down. Uh, my recommendation would be to run more of a uh, more of a flat bar type type conditioner on the back, so it's so it's level level with the ground. Um, so then you can get back back in there, and you're not trying to uh, have that planter right up on top of that uh, on that little bit of that berm. Yeah, it's always a little bit different. You never know what you're going to run into in the spring. For us, we know that we're going to have frost. We know it's going to come out, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, so we can get going a little bit earlier in the, the spring. But being patient, that's that's one of the challenges about doing things right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to make sure, um, especially the strip till, um, you know, you got uh, it's it's kind of it's your that's your only pass, and, and the planner is going to be the next uh, the next tool that's going to go into uh, to set the stage for that crop. So uh, we need to make sure we we got that proper soil tilt, and um, and and that proper that proper proper strip made so uh, so so the planner can uh, can perform to the best of its ability. How about parts this year, CJ? How how are things changing? I've I've heard a lot from a lot of growers that things are starting to get. Back to more normal, I guess I should say. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I, I would say the same thing. More normal, I definitely would not call it call it normal by any means. But uh, we're uh, seems like everything's in a, in a lot better situation uh, than it was last year at this time. Um, it's something we we continue to uh, to monitor with our with our teams um, and, and and really every everybody I believe is. But uh, but yeah, things have uh, things have definitely gotten better. Um, it's not perfect by no means, but but definitely better. Yeah, a lot of things to consider if you're looking at strip till this spring. Always good to have a resource in your back pocket. For us, that's C.J. Parker at Case IH. We can ask any question of, and, and he's got some experience with it. C.J., thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Uh, yep, thanks, guys. You know, when it comes to strip till, uh, there are just a lot of things to think about. It's fun to talk to folks that have been there and done that for a while. We'll continue that discussion on strip till. We'll also keep our phone lines open. If you have any agronomic question, it doesn't have to be about strip till, it could be about anything going on in your farm. It's 844 44 AG PhD. We'll be right back. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. 
Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kochia, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio today and you know we still got snow out in our fields we're not going to be doing any strip till anytime soon but i doubt our friend chad henderson down in alabama's got a whole lot of snow out in the field chad how you doing today all doing great how y'all doing good we got a few inches of snow we'd love to share with you though <laughs> man no you didn't want to share it with me back when i could do some hunting Dale. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you out in the fields yet? Are you guys out doing some work and field prep and that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah, we're doing some field prep. You know, we've been spraying wheat, side dressing wheat real hard right now, and about to get that behind us. And we was able to do some strip tilling actually last week. Excellent. Okay, so how is that different? So, a little different situation in Alabama versus South Dakota, but uh, do you change a lot from what you would potentially do if you were strip tilling in the fall, or do you just always do it in the spring? Well, no, we just get go as far as we can go in the fall until it gets wet. You know, that's one thing we learned right off the bat is don't run it too wet. You know, we we learned that kind of the hard way and, and the way it does, you know, and the way it don't pulverize the ground, it makes that slice, you know. And 
And so we, we learn that, and then once it's dry, and then we wait till in the spring, and we're uh, running the rest of what we couldn't get finished in the spring. All right, so with strip-till on your farm, uh, what are some of the goals for you? Obviously, the, the seed bed preparation is one. Is is fertility an option, or is that something you're thinking about? Yeah, yeah. you know, we're doing the fertility as an option, and we're trying to, you know, on some of our um, lower seed, seed soils and things like that, we're actually just trying to feed, you know, the root zone. And then, you know, we've learned a lot, you know, through the work we've done with y'all and, and others here, extreme ag stuff, we've learned a lot about trying to keep the biology intact in the center of the row, you know, and not spreading this dry fertilizer out there. So it's a combination of keeping as much straw as we can for cover on some of our red, high red soils, and then, you know, trying to keep that biology going, and then also, you know, just trying to fertilize in that strip and be as efficient as we can, you know, as farmers and and, and landowners too, you know. We always want to have just these decisions be easy. It's either yes or no, and it only impacts <laughs> yeah. one thing. But you just mentioned about ten things that this is yeah. going to impact. So well, that's just that's a big what we've decision. learned. You know, yeah, that's right. You know, and we can cut costs. You know, with fertilizer prices like they are, and luckily they're they're trying to inch down. You know, and that's helping going to help us all a lot. But it it definitely helps with fertilizer pricing as well. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, how about crops? Is this for corn and for soybeans on your farm? Is it for anything else? No, we just do corn. We we run all our soybeans on a 15-inch rows, so we haven't got anything for strip tilling on that. Uh, but we're just so we're just strip tilling on on corn now, okay. right now. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's yep. uh, it's always different depending on which farm you're on, and <laughs> and I know some guys uh, say, well, I can only do it on corn if it's in a rotation. Do you do it in continuous corn? Do you have any continuous corn? Yeah, we'll have some, but we haven't done it in continuous corn. I, I just haven't done it yet. You know, I'm still, you know, we're talking about strip tilling day, and I've learned a lot in the last three or four years, but I guess I'm still a, a you know, a, a, a young strip tiller, if you would. There's a lot of people that I've gleaned a lot of knowledge off of from this, you know. But uh, we're we're just, we're, right now, we're basically running behind our double crop scenarios. You know, we run wheat, and then we run our beans, you know, and then we come in and run run behind the combines with uh, the strip till for the corn. And that's a lot of places where we sink because we, then we can leave that wheat bean stubble out there pretty good for cover through the fall and then just have our strips. All right. The other thing, since you're speaking about uh, fertility here in the strips, is it a straight rate of product that you're putting out there? Like you mentioned, especially in the lower CEC soils, just feeding that root zone. So I, I'm imagining it's only a small percentage of your whole fertility. That's that's correct. Um, we've we've learned, you know, we've been doing some trials and learning some stuff about, you know, what we're going to put in as far as liquid with a planter, and then what we're going to put in as far as dry. You know, and we'll do with a, you know, a dap and a potash mix in the fall, and and then we'll come in and and we'll come back with a freshener in the spring and actually put out liquid nitrogen twenty eight double o five, and kind of you know tidy that bed up real good right before the planter. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot that goes so, to it, and, and it's really an art to, to get this thing done just right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think if it's an art, I think I'm still using crayons. Then. <laughs> <laughs> if it's an art, you know, but, but, but we've learned a lot, you know, as farmers we do. And and so, and like now, when we're strip tilling now, you know, we'll add some urea to that blend, and we'll take our plant, you know, take our, our uh, pounds on up to where we know where we're at, where in case we don't run that second trip you know, we, we're ready to go. 
So it's kind of like what we go, you know, which where when we're strip tilling in the fall, we'll have one blend. When we're strip tilling in the spring, we'll have a different blend, and then we'll get into variable rate as well. You know, how deep do you go with the strip till, and do you feel like if you had compaction that you'd have to do something else to help with that, or is strip till enough to take it out? I think the strip till is enough to take it out. You know. Um, and we do have some compaction, especially when we go with a, you know, again, we're going behind the wheat and a lot of times it was no tilled into the corn stubble and then we'll have the beans. And, and so it's a lot of traffic across that, you know, by the time we've run machines across it twice and carts and, and that's one of the things we're knocking out. And then also in the spring, you know, we're trying to plant corn mid to late March and that'll get it to where we can air up that, that strip where the corn's going, going to be and warm that pad up. Uh, and it's really nice if we can get us a rain or two on it to where we can have a stale seabed to plant on. It plants real nice. You're absolutely right. If we can loosen that up, get a little more oxygen mm-hmm. in there, uh, it's a lot easier to warm up air than warm up uh, solid dirt yep. or, or water. Yep, and and heaven forbid, you know, we we had, you know, stopped the machines or didn't do a real good job of spreading our um, uh, windrowing or, you know, our bean stubble behind it, you know. And so if you get it to where you got a, a real high residue behind it and you didn't manage that real well, it gets that brush back to where you don't see that, you know, corn kind of studded from that cooler ground, you know, from the residue. Sure, sure. Yeah, this is just playing right into my one of my last statements, Chad, <laughs> uh, before this segment was you need to talk to somebody that's been doing this for a little while. And you, <laughs> you think about all the things Chad just brought up here. Do you talk about this on Extreme Ag at all, Chad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and like I said, a lot of this stuff is, you know, the stuff that, you know, that we've seen on our farm, you know, but then other farmers and strip tillers and, and, you know, people like y'all that we've learned a lot from coming up there to the hefty field day, you know, just, just stuff that, you know, we've been able to, to pick up and really shorten our curve from, from a farmers actually sharing, you know, with each other. That's yeah. tough these days, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we only get so many years to do this, so you want to try and That's do it right, right. As, right as quickly as you possibly can. Well, we're talking with Chad Henderson down in Alabama. Chad, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the time today. Uh, and thanks for what you guys are doing with Extreme Ag, too, for anybody who hasn't checked that out yet. Uh, once you find Chad on there, you're, you're going to love him real fast. Hey, Chad, <laughs> thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, had a question come on. Here's here's another uh, person reaching out for for a little bit of help. This is Nick up in South Central North Dakota, and he said, "All right, guys, I got some virgin ground. There's like 30 acres here, and it's never been touched. But I want to put soybeans in here for the first year we're going to crop it, and I'd like to get 40 bushel beans if I could. So, just curious if you think that's possible. I'm sending you a soil test here. Okay. Uh, I don't get a lot of moisture in our area, but uh, but hopefully enough." All right. I appreciate the fact that he said, hey, this is virgin ground, because look at what we've got here. If, the, if First of all, let me just say 19 cation exchange capacity. So it's medium textured, getting close to what we would call heavy soil at a 20 CEC. His soil pH in the top six inches, 6.9. That's great. His base saturation K, 5.2%. That means he's got... 376 parts per million of K out there. So these are common things we see in some of this virgin ground around here. Here's also common, what we commonly what we see. There's no phosphorus there, like literally zero. Now they're telling you four, you have zero. You have no phosphorus. Okay, so you've got to put a lot of phosphorus on. And just understand, soybean roots are puny. They are not going to extract much of the phosphorus you apply. So I'm, I, well... 
during our show today, uh, in, in during our breaks, I've been going through some stuff just for a field of ours, just as an example. And fertilizer prices are high this year, but we got one field we're going to spend two hundred and thirty-three dollars on phosphorus on. And you're probably like, what? Two thirty-three? Well, yeah, because I got the same thing. I got no phosphorus out there, and I gotta make sure that plant gets it because I don't want forty-five. Like on my farm, I'm looking for seventy. So you've got to get a bunch of phosphorus out there. And then I'd start looking at some micronutrients too, because your zinc is really low at uh, part per million, boron 0.4, things like that, copper 0.6. So get that stuff out there and the phosphorus, and you should be in good shape. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield-robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, got a couple of them here from Paul. And he said, first of all, strip-toe question for you guys. I'm in southeast Washington, and I raise wheat and canola. My current drill is on 12-inch spacing. In your experience, if I was going to strip till, how narrow can I make those strips? Even the guys that are in 20 and 22 inch rows have a difficult time. So it's usually 30 inch stuff. So that's that's not really going to work. Now, I will say this. We've had some fields where we've done strip till for better than 15 years. And we, we do strip till every year. So Darren was just talking to Chad Henderson, for example, that he hadn't done strip till and continuous corn. Oh, we've done it in continuous corn. We've done it in continuous beans. We've done it in, I mean, a number of different row crops. But the thing is, when you go to these really narrow rows, 10 inches, 12 inches, whatever, even 15, you're going to say, wait a second here, uh, this isn't going to work. I'm going to fertilize every 30 inches? Right, you're correct. It is not going to work. So in that case, we're usually talking about broadcast fertilizer or something in terms of fertility placed out there with the drill. But where I'm going with all this is we have put small grain where we have strip-tilled in the past, and we haven't had a problem. We haven't seen waviness in that field. Here's part of the reason why. When we strip-till, we put out what we believe that crop is going to remove that year. We do not go with a, a massive build program or... On the other hand, we don't go and say, well, we're just going to run things really short. We're going to put out half of crop removal. We like putting out crop removal, and the reason why is because then typically your soil is back to where it was before you started. If you run a build program or a shrink program, then you might see more of that waviness out in your field. So it's just something to keep in mind if you were to ever do it in row crops and then you go to a small grain. The, all right, the, Paul also had a soil yeah. or some soil tests that yep, he sent in, and he said, "All right, guys, I did catch your Neil Kinsey seminar and learned a lot." And he said, "Could you please comment on the hydrogen levels on the soil samples I've enclosed? Also, yep. any other things you see for shooting for high yields in wheat and canola?" Yeah, so he's got forty percent hydrogen. The problem is the soil pH is five or right around five. So you just have to get lime out there. Once you get lime out there, that's going to replace the hydrogen with calcium and you're in good shape. Now you don't have to get for canola and and most small grains, you don't have to get the pH clear up to seven like you would for alfalfa. Six, low six is plenty good enough, but you got to get it up some. I'll, uh, right now that's hurting your yield. Along with that, I'd just say, and this is something during the Neil Kinsey session last week we were talking about with some people out in your geography that have raised the pH some, not enough, but they've raised it some and haven't seen a whole lot of yield gain. Well, part of the problem is you got to have boron along with that. Your boron levels are 0.3 and 0.4 parts per million. That's simply not enough. You want to get that up to 1 or 2 or something like that. To be safe, okay, so a lot of times we're talking about calcium to boron ratio to be safe. 
you've got 1,100 to 1,500 parts per million of calcium. If you take your calcium number divided by 1,000, that should tell you the rough amount of boron your soil can safely hold without having a whole lot of worries. So in other words, even though like on my farm, I might want the boron levels 3 to 5 parts per million, your fields will only handle safely in our estimation around 1.1 to 1.5 parts per million. But nevertheless, you got to build the boron up and then that's going to help the calcium go in better. The other big thing is your copper levels are not bad, 1.5 to 1.7 parts per million. But if you get those copper levels up higher, what you will find is you'll have less disease issue, you'll have less lodging problem, that will be good. So on copper, I would encourage you to get those copper levels up to at least two or three parts per million instead of 1.5. Oh, and then the other thing I'd say is zinc. So with his soil test, by the way, he has P1 levels of phosphorus at 40 to 60. So it's good. It's not great. I just, you got to keep putting out what you need for phosphorus every year, but that's certainly good. It's not like as long as you put out what you need for removal, you're going to be fine. You're not going to be yield limiting. And his K levels are 5 to 10%. So where it's 5, then I'm putting out what my crop needs for the year. Where it's 10, you have to stop applying potassium there. Do not apply potassium where you're at 10% uh, K. That's that's already a little more than too high. Just mine it out for a year or two, and you'll be back down below 8%, and you're great. But anyway, here's where I'm going with this. His P and K levels, for the most part, are, are good, but zinc, copper, and boron right now are hurting the yield. And sulfur, you could add a little more, you're 15 parts per million. So a little bit of sulfur along with your nitrogen, that would be fantastic. Um, by the way, there's one spot in his top six inches where he has 70 pounds of nitrogen. 70 pounds. And most people are going to figure, oh, I'm going to have 10 or 20 or 30 left. Well, he has 70 pounds there. So if there's not a lot of spring rain or anything, you got to count on, hey, a bunch of that nitrogen is going to be there. So I don't have to spend a whole bunch more money on nitrogen. Just something for you to keep in mind. So, oh, uh, the zinc, he's at one part per million. You want to take your P1 number, divide that by 10, and that'll get you relatively close to what you need for zinc. So if you're at 60 on a P1, you divide that by 10, that's 6. You're at 1. Zinc sulfate, fortunately, is pretty inexpensive. So like on our farm, we had some stuff. I was just running through. We were just talking about this. about uh, We got a new piece of ground, and we've got micros (sighs) that that aren't the greatest, and so we're kind of in the same boat as as you are, Paul. We're raising our zinc levels to 10 because I want my phosphorus levels higher than what you want or what you probably are going to be shooting for. So I want 10 on zinc. Well, to get 10 on zinc, to just so you know, I'm going to spend 59. We are going to spend $59 an acre. And you might say, well, my gosh, on 240 bushel corn, that's enough zinc for 61 years for grain removal. 61 years at 240 bushel corn. Now, granted, our yields will be a lot higher 61 years from now. But the point is, when we talk about some of these micronutrients and some of the things that don't move in the soil well, look, copper and zinc are good examples. And you go, whoa, I'm applying so many dollars worth and I'm going to put $59 of zinc out there. You guys are nuts. No, I'm not. That zinc's never going to leave. As long as your soil does not erode away, that zinc is never going to leave. You're going to farm it out till the rest for the rest of your life. So I was joking the other day. I said, I'm 54 years old. And I only have 46 more years to farm. Well, even if I farm to 100, I, I mean, some of that zinc is still going to be there that I'm going to put, we are going to put on this field this spring. 
or maybe yeah, actually we might have even done this last fall. This is just an example here. I'm not saying you have to go quite as carry, get quite as carried away as we are, but I want you to think about some of these things are not one-year investments. So if let's just say, for example, I spent that much on 10, uh, you might only have to spend, I don't know, let's call it $35 an acre. And you go, whoa, that's a lot. Yeah, it is, but it's a long-term investment. Look at it just like your land. When you bought your land, you didn't expect that was going to pay off in one year. So it's the same thing with zinc. It's the same thing with copper. You've got to get the levels up there so they actually get into the plant. Because otherwise, the phosphorus overwhelms them, and your yield, I will promise you, is not going to be great or as great as it could be if you don't get the phosphorus to zinc ratio right and you don't get the phosphorus to copper ratio right. Those are facts. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, I get this one from Jerry in Southeast Washington. He said, guys, uh, get a question from your soil fertility seminar that you had back in uh, about a week ago. Uh, it showed pH at one inch increments down zero to 12 inches, yielding about 300 bushels. It had low pHs down in the four or six inch soil depths or so. I wonder, have you added any lime out there or are you going to put lime okay. out there down the road? Well, first of all, that was a different conversation than the 300 bushels. That was on another field. So these were not 300 bushel fields where we did the one inch soil tests. Um, and have we done some liming? Yes, but we're, we're still to the point where we're looking at the zero to six average rather than saying, well, my top two inches are good for fertility my or for pH. My four to nine inch zone, that's a little bit on the low side. Part of that will come back up in pH every year. Keep in mind, this was during the year and plant roots excrete organic acids. So that pH could come back up when that acid dissipates a little bit. I got more questions for the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. 
In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. They'll hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our topic today was strip till, but we're into the Ag PhD mailbag now, taking any agronomic question you have at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. So Nate down in West Central Missouri uh, wanted to ask a little about strip till and fertility. He said, okay, currently, guys, I'm doing vertical till like two inches in corn years. That's on 30-inch rows. And I've got no-till going on in my bean years, and I'm doing the beans in 15-inch rows. But I'm considering moving to strip-till in the corn years only, putting on my entire corn year dry program in the strip, again, on 30-inch spacings. Would you recommend keeping the same strips year after year to build fertility there, or moving my strip every, say, 10 inches each corn year so I end up applying uniformly over a six-year time period? I'd probably move it. Right now I'm broadcasting my dry program in the bean years and really enjoy the quicker canopy of 15-inch bean rows. Yes, definitely. You're going to have better weed control when you have that quicker canopy. Now, granted, you're going to trap more moisture, so you are going to have more disease problems in the narrow rows. But uh, there are a lot of people that love the narrow rows, so I get that. But what we were talking about just a little bit ago is we typically recommend applying crop removal. So if you look at the grain removal only, for a corn crop, for example, in your case, then that's what I would put out there. So you say, all right, here's my yield goal. This is what it would remove, grain removal only. That's what I'm going to put out. And the reason why is now, again, we get right back to zero. So then it doesn't really matter. You can go in the same row, you can go in a different row, whatever. We prefer moving it. Even though we're doing that, we prefer moving that row a little bit in part because And you might say, well, boy, it's two years later. I'm surely not going to have a whole lot of residue left. You might. If you're strip till and then no till, um, there there might be some of those corn stalks there. And it's just a lot easier to deal with something other than the corn stalks. So that's part of why I would move that over. Okay. Uh, Thanks for the question. Uh, Brian, if you want to look at this, uh, the soil test is really small. You have to read uh, his 
his original email first and then the second. In the meantime, I'm going to take this question. Wait, why don't you just read it well, to me? Because I'm going to read, I'm going to read this question while you take a chance to look. It's There's a ton of from soil him? samples on there. No, nope, different. From, okay. I've got a different question. So I'm going to fill a minute here while you get a chance to look ahead and, and see yeah, if you can. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know why you didn't just ask the question, but go All ahead. Right. Well, this one comes from Troy, and he said, uh, hey, guys, uh, big big fan of your show. Uh, I get, get a question about my lawn, though. I've got wild onion in the lawn. I've tried digging them up, but it didn't solve the problem. Just wondering what herbicide I could use. They are spreading across my yard. Also wondering if I raise my soil pH naturally, will that phase out wild onions? Keep in mind, my neighbor's yard is covered in wild onions. All right, Troy. Uh, yeah, it's tough when the neighbor has the weed problem, and even if you clean up yours, it's going to keep coming. Uh, so a couple things here. With wild onion, it's a cool season perennial, often in heavy and wet soil. So if it's really wet in that area, and I don't know if that's an issue or not. You didn't mention it, so I'm guessing not. Uh, if it's really wet, you may have to do some tiling out there. Uh, the big thing I would say with all weeds is just keep a thick, healthy lawn. If we do that, we can choke out weeds. Now with wild onion, once it's gotten started, it starts from a bulb and that's why digging hasn't really done the job. If you do dig them out, you've got to use a shovel and you probably have to go six inches deep. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of little bulbs that could be attached there too. I know the organic guys, their solution, I, I did have to look this one up because I'm always curious. Okay. What are the organic guys doing? They're using boiling water. Water and dumping that on wild onions, they can kill them apparently that way. Or some guys are using a high dose of vinegar, but that's going to leave some impacts on your soil. And either way, you're going to hurt other things around it. So uh, if you're going to use a herbicide, keep in mind, wild onions got waxy leaves. So I would consider adding some non-ionic surfactant or some kind of sticker to the mix to try and get it to stick on the leaves. So the nut sedge killers like imazequin would be um, an active ingredient you could look for for lawns. They actually work on wild onions too. So I'd look at imazequin. I would do it in the fall. I would probably add some non-ionic surfactant or some kind of sticker to it just to try to get it to hang onto the weed. I do see some guys using 2,4-D dicamba and mecoprop or 2,4-D dicamba and quinclorac. We're not real big on dicamba when you're using it by hand, uh, but it, that's something that you'll see a lot of lawn products that are labeled too. But my choice would be a Mazaquin, and I would do it in the fall. Hey, thanks, Trey. Oh, and if you talk to your neighbor and say, gosh, it's only going to cost you a few bucks, why don't you just kick in and I'll do the spraying? Most of the time, neighbors will go along with that too. All right, Brian, uh, back to your question then. Uh, we had a couple of questions uh, that came in from Nelson about mainly about gypsum. He said, I've got some base saturations in the 60s, and, but I've got high magnesium, like 20 up to 32%. And I want to bring that down. I'm wondering if gypsum's the product of choice, and if so, how much I would use. I've got decent uh, base saturations on some things, but I want to get things in balance. Okay, so it's really variable soil. We've got cation exchange capacities 12 up to 35. So, and, and the nutrient levels are like that as well. We talk often on the show about variable rate. This is a great example. If this is one field, I am varying my rate a lot 
because there are areas that don't need much fertility, and then you got other areas. Oh my goodness, you need fertility. You yeah, need this P is and one K field. And a bunch one of stuff. field grid yes, sample. Great, perfect. And this is exactly why we like small grids or small zones. If you're running with a big grid or a big zone, you're not going to catch some of these things, and you are going to put fertilizer where you don't need it, where it's not going to make you money and could cost you money. For example. He's got some areas where, and I realize I'm not getting to his question yet, but hang on, I'll get there. Uh, he's got areas where his zinc is one part per million and his phosphorus levels are really great. Okay, well, if you've got really high phosphorus, and for, for example, 90 on phosphorus. Okay, so let's just say that I've got 90 on phosphorus and I've got one part per million on zinc. I will promise you that is hurting your yield in any crop. There's no way. You, you want that ratio somewhere around 10 to 1. Now, in our data, we can probably be 5 to 1. We can be 15 to 1. It's close enough. Okay, but you can't be 90 to 1. So right there, if let's just say, for example, you had a big grid or a big zone that showed, oh, you know, it looks like the phosphorus is only 20 like it is in a lot of his other areas. Well, what would you do? Of course, you'd put on a bunch more phosphorus there. We put more phosphorus there and you don't put the zinc on. Um, you're going backwards. You're not going forwards. So th that's just a good example of how you put the wrong fertilizer in the wrong place and you do more harm than good. And then you got more of a problem to try to fix in the future. So small grids and small gr zones are absolutely the way to go. I'd way rather have you only soil test once every four years or heck, once every eight years. I don't care, but you got to go to small grids or small zones. That's the key. Okay, let's talk about this gypsum and the fixing the magnesium thing. Here's our experience. We haven't found that fixing the magnesium dramatically increases yield based on uh, the amount that I'm spending on the gypsum. So you can try it, and you will fix that calcium to magnesium thing. Uh, you will. Um, it's usually the last thing that I want to address on my farm. I want to make sure I've got enough N, P, K, zinc, copper, manganese, iron, boron first. And quite frankly, even I'll throw a little bit of molybdenum and maybe even some cobalt. That's one of the things uh, I was just working on on our farm. Um, I'd rather do all that stuff first than worry about, oh, I'm at 60 on calcium and I'm at 30 on mag magnesium. For one thing, every lab runs these tests a little bit different. So I'm just not incredibly confident that when you spend a bunch of money on your gypsum, you're going to get that back in a return, whether it's in one year or four years or whatever it is. So I'm not saying it's a dumb idea or anything, because you are going to get some sulfur out there and you need it. Your sulfur levels are low. But I'm just saying I would walk before I run. I would do a couple half fields or something like that. And I'd try a couple different rates. Would I try 500 pounds? Yes. Would I be willing to try 1,000 or even 2,000 pounds on just a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, how much you need is really dependent on that cation exchange capacity. The heavier the ground, the more clay you've got, basically, and the more holding sites there are, meaning the more calcium and magnesium there is, meaning the higher rate of gypsum you have to go. So for me to make a recommendation for you, it's going to vary with literally every one of these grid points. That's why I say just just try some things. You'll see you'll you'll see it show up even in a year where you'll, you'll flip that calcium magnesium thing. But again, it 
to me, in our experience, it's been more important to fix all the other nutrients first, do everything you can to raise a great crop, then let's worry about the calcium magnesium when it's like that. It's 60 and 30. It's not like it's 97 and 3 or anything like that. It's nothing crazy. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate them. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.